0: to the inaugural episode of Everyday Martial Artists. I'm your host, Brian Dusett. And as many of you know, if any of you ever listen to podcasts, a lot of times when a podcast starts, it, it takes a while to get picked up by a lot of the uh, podcast apps and platforms. So a lot of people put out kind of an intro episode and I was kind of tossing around the idea and what I wanted to do for an intro episode. And I decided that I'd uh, kind of do a flip the page a little bit and actually bring in a good friend of mine to interview me on the first episode so you can kind of know a little bit of my background and what the heck gives me the right to host this podcast and talk about my Martial arts. So I'm going to turn it over to my good friend Mike Cappell. Mike's actually a a local radio host, morning show host, has been in the radio about as long as me, you know, 25, 30 years. He's also a martial artist, so he knows what he's talking about there. And I'm going to turn it over to him and he's going to ask me the questions, going to be asking a lot of my guests over the next uh, few months and years. So take it away, Mike.
1: Well, uh, thanks for the opportunity, Brian. I'm looking forward to chatting with you a little bit about this. I know. Both of us are uh, certainly interested in martial arts, but we've never really actually sat down all these years and had a had a good discussion about it. So, looking forward to it. So, the first thing I want to ask you is, what was your first experience with martial arts, and and what age did you get into it? How did you how did you find your way into this
0: world? Well, for me, it was kind of you know I, I grew up a kid of the '80s, and in the late '70s, early '80s, I was actually a big fan of the show Kung Fu and. You know, the the Kung Fu theater shows, you know, Bruce Lee, Jackie Chan, but me, the little, you know, I was a little kid who got picked on a lot and I never thought it was something I could do. I I never in my life thought that I could do martial arts. So I, I watched it as a fan and never even thought of looking into it. That all changed on June 19th, 1984. Remember the exact date? Wow. Yeah, yeah. And you'll know why in a second, because a, a new movie okay. came out. I grew up a movie buff. I grew up in central Minnesota. Not a lot to do, <laughs> other than, like, go to movies and, and hang out with your friends. And and uh, that June, a brand new movie came out called The Karate Kid. Oh, yes. Yep. And uh, me and some friends went to that opening night, and, and it literally changed my life. I mean, people talk about that, and I've had other guests say the same thing about The Karate Kid, <laughs> but it, what the key point was for me, not only did I realize, you know, Hey, maybe this is something I could do, but the, the, the best part was walking out of the movie theater afterwards, there was two gentlemen standing out there handing out these little yellow cards. So me and my friend's course grabbed a card and as we're walking out, we're reading it. And it was a free month of martial arts lessons from a local school, uh, which I didn't even know that we had a local school. Like I said, I never looked into it, never thought it was something I can do. And, it was a local Tung Sudo school, and uh, the instructor's name was Bill Nelson. You he actually hear me interview uh, in a few uh, episodes. Um, he was my first martial arts instructor. He actually taught in a uh, dance school above our local police department. So I went there. I actually, remember the first night, I, I uh, didn't know what to wear, so I, I had uh, a camel, camouflage sweatpants and a camouflage uh, T-shirt, <laughs> and. Uh, what's funny about that is uh, that ended up being my nickname for the year or so I trained. He called me Camel <laughs> just because that's that's what I wore to every class until I got my uniform. Well,
1: uh, as long as he was calling you Camo <laughs> and not Camel. Yeah,
0: no, no, no. It was, was Camel. Mr. <laughs> okay, Cam, Mr. Camouflage. So, yeah, that, that's how he knew me. He couldn't remember my name at first. So I, I was Camel. He was like, hey, Camel. Like, All right, that's me. But uh, so, yeah, my, my first ever experience doing martial arts was, was the Korean art of, of Tung Soo Do. And, like I said, I did that for about a year.
1: So, tell me a little bit about that. I'm (laughs) not familiar
0: it's um it's a lot like it's a sister art to taekwondo so it's, it's, okay. if you're familiar with taekwondo it's it's a lot of the same stuff a lot of the same terminology uh, so even, i do
1: hapkido keto coranda, which is also uh, Korean. Any similarities to that
0: no it, it's definitely a lot closer to taekwondo okay. you know take one it's it's more kicking and punching uh, obviously the, you know we do some of the we did some of the other stuff too but a lot of that i don't remember i only did it for a year sure. uh, and the whole reason was is uh, unfortunately my parents couldn't afford for me to keep going so, so you know this was in 84 i was about 10 years old when i started uh so I did it until I was about you know, 11 or 12. And after that, I couldn't afford it. Plus, that was the only school in town, so I had no other options. And just kind of went on. I, you know, for the next few years, I I, I I watched martial arts movies. I read magazines. I read books. I started doing a lot of research. And and if you remember, like I do very well, the you know, mid to late 80s, there was a martial arts movie boom. I mean, Steven Seagal right. and Jean-Claude Van Damme and obviously Chuck Norris and, and people like well, that.
1: And it even showed up in like movies like Lethal Weapon and stuff where they might not have been surrounded by it. But... You always had the one character like in a cop movie who somehow, you know, he was in Vietnam or something and picked up on some of this
0: stuff, right? Exactly. And and what happened then as I as I started doing more research, I, I read a lot of books about martial arts. I read, you know, Tao of Ji Kune Do and other things like that. And and I also started researching these guys who were in the movies. And of course, back then there was no internet. So I spent a lot of time at the library and reading magazines and, and back then the guy I really liked a lot in the movies was Van Damme. So I started researching him and I actually found out that his first style when he started martial arts as a teenager was Shotokan. So mm-hmm. I got it, you know shotokan and then another style that i always wanted to learn was american kenpo and so i started doing research and i couldn't find an american kenpo school anywhere That style, that's the style i really wanted to learn i I read a lot about ed parker and the style he created and of course in you know 1990 the movie the perfect weapon came out with jeff speakman and that's when i was like oh i have to learn american kenpo but there was nothing i couldn't even find one in minnesota at the time but i found a shotokan school and i made the determination i said when i turn 16 i'll have a car i'll have a job i'm going to drive 30 miles three times a week to go to Shotokan, And that was the plan. I told my parents, like, as long as you pay for it, we don't care. And so that was the plan. I planned it for a year. I mean, I talked to the instructor. I went down and visited a few times, started saving up money. And the day before my 16th birthday, I blew my knee out in high school gym class.
1: Oh, no. Yeah. Wow.
0: (laughs) Talk about heartbreaking.
1: (laughs) Very heartbreaking for sure. So after recovering from that, um, what was your next step in the martial arts world? Did you pick it up still in high school or was it later on?
0: I did pick it up in high school. It took a year. Um, initially, the, the doctor told me that I wouldn't be able to do any martial arts at all, any anything physical. I couldn't, He told me I couldn't play basketball, couldn't do tennis, nothing until I had my knee completely rebuilt. So I went to physical therapy. Back then, now it's changed. But back then, they did not want to do complete reconstructive surgery on someone that young. They wanted to wait till you were stopped growing, where now they'll do it on kids that young. So I was supposed to wait till I was like 20 to 21 before I could do martial arts again. And I basically said, you know, screw you, Doc. And I started going to physical therapy and, and actually working out. I'd never really worked out before. Started lifting weights and doing stuff with my knee. And after about a year, my knee just felt good. I had a knee brace and stuff. So I'm like, I'm gonna ask the doctor. I'm just gonna go. And I went and joined Shotokan. Wow, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was the end of my junior year, beginning of my senior year, and ended up doing you know Shotokan for a while. Uh, until I left for college, but uh, I took Shotokan from Central Minnesota Karate in St. Cloud, Minnesota. Uh, instructor named Tim Keel, who, who you'll also hear me do an interview with. I've been lucky to go back and interview most of my former instructors, which has been fun. But the cool, cool. thing about Tim Keel, if, if you Google Central Minnesota Karate, and when I interview him, I'll put a link on, but you got to look at his picture. Chuck Norris, twin brother, swear to God, he looks just like him. <laughs>
1: take a look at that
0: that was the first thing i noticed when i, when I walked in there oh this is this is weird <laughs> <laughs> he looked just like him but the cool thing about you know shotokan's japanese style very hard style very traditional that was the first style i ever had seen a makiwara board in person if you're movie guy if you remember the um, steven seagal movie hard to kill Absolutely, when, yeah. When he went into a coma and woke up, makiwara board—that's the thing he you know, he wrapped twine around the board and punched it to strengthen. Oh, his, yeah. okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That's that's Japanese, and that's the first time I ever saw one actually use in person and in class, and got to use that and stuff. So. So that was a lot of fun, but that was another fun style. And like I said, I was able to do it until I uh, until I left for college. But uh, it's it tried to keep in contact with my instructors over the years and and keep in touch and stuff. And and it's a, it was a fun style, fond memories of it. And, you know, at, at the time I had just decided I wanted something different than Tung Sudo. Do. Nothing against Tung Sudo, Do. Just you know, I was one kind of going back to like the whole Bruce Lee thing and the Taekwondo. I had decided early on I wanted to learn many styles. I, I, I definitely wanted to find a core style to be my base but I wanted to train in other styles and learn different things and kind of blend them together into my own thing.
1: Uh, what did you, you know, you, it sounds like you had a few different instructors there. So mm-hmm. what what did you like about the, the teaching styles or maybe some things that you, you didn't like about some of those teaching styles, which gets really weird in martial arts is yeah. uh, as somebody who's really only had one teacher his entire time doing, it, I've been in, in and out for about 15 years and uh, I've had one main teacher and then the other teachers are, are other students that I practiced with that right have been more consistent with it so I've never really kind of gotten outside my bubble it sounds like you've trained with quite a few different people so you know, what styles did you feel just for you you responded to better in terms of teaching uh, compared to things that maybe uh were a turnoff for you oh
0: well, that's actually a good question that actually perfectly brings me up to my next thing because like I said I, I studied Shotokan until I went to college and all those first instructors I didn't have anything to compare it to you sure. know, I, I they, they were good instructors but I had nothing bad to compare it to. But when I started college, that's when I first started uh, Taekwondo, which since then has become my, my core system, a traditional Taekwondo. Been doing that for almost thirty years, about twenty-eight years now. But my first Taekwondo instructor at first Seemed really good, but I started to realize, you know, after about a year and a half or so that all the person cared about was tournaments and competition and winning. And it, it literally started to remind me of John Kreese from the Karate Kid. It was
1: very much Uh this is, this is what we're all about here. This is what we're, exactly. we're training for. Yeah. And I yep. think that that's, um I mean, when you think of martial arts, I, I think you go in not understanding what it, what it's about, but as you're in it more, you realize that that uh, to me anyway, you realize that y- y- fighting is kind of one of the last things it's about in my mind anyway.
0: Exactly. And a, a funny thing about that is that when I started taekwondo at the same time, I also started aikido. I found out that at Concordia College in Moorhead, Minnesota, there was a a teacher there. He wasn't a black belt. He was a, a second q, which was level right before black belt. And he basically taught a it wasn't really a class, but it was more of a club or a workout thing. But he taught aikido just more for himself to keep it going every day, Monday through Friday, seven a.m. <laughs> so for About a year, I woke up every morning at 7 a.m. and and got my ass thrown around and, and learned how to fall properly and roll properly and and my Taekwondo instructor at the time found that I was doing another martial art and he freaked. And I was taking Taekwondo as a credit through college at the time. And he actually threatened to like fail me and make me lose a credit because I was starting another style. And I actually had to go to the school and complain about him. But it got to the point where he got so bad where I started hating martial arts. And at one point in early 1994, I actually thought about giving it up completely. Uh, it, it was that bad. He, he made me hate it that much. I mean, you know, you know forced me to enter tournaments I didn't want to enter and stuff because I never got into it for the competition part it was, it was more, always about more than that but luckily one of the assistants it was a i remember my, and actually this is kind of cool i finally after all these years tracked him down on facebook earlier this year but it was a red belt named jason saint michael who was an assistant and one day after class he pulled me aside when we were walking out and he's like you know i can tell something's wrong i can tell you're not loving this like you used to and he kind of talked to me and asked me questions. He goes, he goes, I think you need to check out this other instructor in town. I think you'll really like him a lot. I think it's what you're looking for. And he recommended it. And the funny part about this was I I, I called the instructor and found out, you know, when his classes were and decided to go watch one class first just to see. And I, I still to this day don't know why I stuck around after that first night because I, I walked in and watched a class and I walked in and there was about like six or seven adult students. And half of them were sitting on the ground with their backs against the wall, their legs straight up with their pant legs rolled up from their uniforms. And their partners were kneeling over them with wooden bow staffs, rolling them on their shins. (laughs) And and they had this look of pain (laughs) in their face. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to like this? Seriously? (laughs) It it kind of freaked the hell out of me. Luckily, funny
1: you bring that up. I had an experience (laughs) like that this summer. I a friend of mine was teaching a class outside in uh, in a park right Mm -hmm. by where I work, and it was a Taekwondo class. And so I have never taken Taekwondo. Like I said, I've done Hopkido. Yep. And Taekwondo has always been interesting uh, to me because it just a little more striking. I mean, Hopkido you do some striking, but uh, learning some forms and things is always something I thought would be kind of fun. So I was like, I'll walk over and just observe the class because I'm in my I'm in my work uniform and it's 75, 80 degrees summer day. <laughs> yep. Go over to the park and they're starting to work on something. Well, then they then they pull out some nunchucks. <laughs> and I have never played with those. So I was like, Oh, okay. So next thing you know, I'm hopped in line, I'm working on nunchucks and my work clothes and uh, it was a blast. I had a great time. So I, I think it's a lot of fun to explore other arts. But you you brought something up that some teachers get very territorial if somebody goes and works with another another teacher. So there's a I don't know if that's one of the unwritten rules everywhere. If there's just certain instructors like that. What's your experience been with that? Are some more open to that than others?
0: Oh yeah, definitely more. Some are more. What's funny is these two instructors that I had both trained with the same instructor. Okay. <laughs> and my my the instructor I switched to, which is still my current instructor since 1994, told me that their instructor, their grandmaster, uh, Grandmaster Mu Yong Yun, who's, you know, now a 10th degree black belt, encouraged them to train in other styles <laughs> and and told them, you know, you can't just do this one thing and en- encourage them to cross train and learn new things. And, and our, uh, you know, the Taekwondo school I currently train at, we are one, of, as far as I know, we were one of the first schools in our area in the early to mid nineties to start blending in groundwork and start doing jujitsu and grappling and, and you know, stuff like that, which, a lot of other schools; it was unheard of at the time. Yeah, and UFC was just coming out, and everything, and so it was a uh, kind of different. But it was, you know, that's that's the school I've been with ever since. Uh, and obviously, I've, I've continued my exploration. You know, in in 1996, I actually finally followed my dream and moved to California just to train in American Kempo. Um, wow! And, and actually, specifically moved there to train with Jeff Speakman from the movie uh, Perfect Weapon. And by the time I got there, he had moved his school. <laughs> I had already had a job lined up, <laughs> place to live. Um But I did so end up. Plan. Yeah, I did get to train with, train with him a few times. someone of his students still ran that school. And I also got to train with uh, Larry Tatum, who's probably one of the, at this point, the world's expert on American Kempo. He was one of the top students of the guy who founded the style, uh, Ed Parker, who unfortunately passed away many, many years ago. But yeah, it, it was, it's I loved the style. I loved living out there. I loved training in it. But unfortunately, due to personal reasons, I didn't get to stay out there. You know, had a, a fiance at the time who did not want to live in California. Hated California and pretty much gave <laughs> me that ultimatum. So,
1: yeah, I came. California is <laughs> one of those places you love it or you hate it. Right? There's no exactly. in between.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And and that was the that was the last time I really did in depth cross training. Since then, I've done a lot. You know, little here and there. I, yeah. It's, it's just been obviously after that had kids and and whatnot. Got a lot busier life. Yeah. But I mean, even since then. I did some training in Hapkido, did training in Judo, did, and actually when I was younger, I did a little boxing too. I forgot to mention that. I was lucky enough in my hometown to have a Olympic boxer who some people may have heard of named Dwayne Bobek. actually uh, graduated high school with his sister, but he fought in the Olympics. He sparred Muhammad Ali, fought Ken Norton, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, but yeah, it was, uh, so I did a little bit of boxing and, and even, um, about God, 10 years ago, 15 years ago now, I trained in boxing for a while with, um. Jim Erickson, good friend of mine, he used to run the North Dakota Athletic Commission. and He's actually was one of uh, Virgil Hill's first trainers. Okay. And so I met uh, I met him through I used to judge MMA, which we can chat about a little later too. But uh, I met Jim through that, and we were kind of joking around one time, and and I mentioned, you know, boxers don't know how to kick, and he's like, "Oh, you teach me to kick, I'll teach you to punch." So for about six months, we got together every morning at five (laughs) a.m. at our our Taekwondo school, and I worked on kicking with him, and he worked on punching with me, and it was a blast.
1: Yeah, it's great to learn from other people too. Uh, You know, you talk about instructors, but just other. Uh, other students and people that have a very practice, not only like you said, in martial arts, but things like boxing and other things that you can bring in, uh, to the, to the fold. And and it can help you in a lot of different ways for sure. So you, you let's back up. You talked about going as a child, a lot of kids, like you said, growing up our age, mm-hmm. uh, in the eighties, saw things like a uh, karate kid. And look, even now, right. I'm sure how many, I think about how many kids are watching Cobra Kai oh, and yeah. are probably thinking about getting into martial arts. Parents are watching it. Uh, so what would you say to to parents looking to get their kids into martial arts these days or or maybe a, a youngster listening to this, a preteen or a teenager is thinking about it?
0: I tell you, I, I honestly, I get asked this question at least once or twice a week just because people know I'm involved in martial arts. I, you know, whether it's coworkers or friends, I'll get emails, I'll get texts, you know, hey, I'm thinking of putting my kid in this. Hey, I'm thinking of doing this. So it's it, first thing I do, you know, well, first of all, it depends on if they're local, you know, it's a different thing. If they're, if they're in an area I don't know, I'll go into right. the research forum. I'll go and research and say, hey, I found seven martial arts schools in your area. Here they are. But I tell people, I said, go watch as many classes as you can. I so said, if there's area we're in, there's roughly 35 martial arts classes in uh, about a 25 mile radius of here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I'll tell people. I said, you go to at least pick out you know five to ten and go watch at least one class, and every one watch the instructor, see how they interact with students, see how they interact with adults, see how they interact with kids, have a conversation with them. Uh, big thing I tell is you know uh, make sure they have some kind of introductory course if if they're not willing to let you try at least. A class or two for free, I would not even consider it personally. Some will give free two weeks. Some will give a free month. And the other thing I really warn against is contracts. Don't get stuck in some kind of long-term contract. You don't want to put your kid in something and... Three months later, they decide they don't want to do it anymore, and you're stuck for a year. So it's you need to make sure that it's something they're gonna they're gonna want to do and enjoy and want to go to. But you know, I personally think it's something that I think everyone should do at some point in their life. You know, I I'd love it to be part of the school curriculum. And I actually tried that years ago with uh, Ben Franklin Junior High, and, and actually had a conversation. That I had the vice principal on board, uh, but could not get the school board to agree to it. I was going to teach a martial arts class there, and they you know some were very into it, but enough weren't you know they're you know worried about insurance and liability and all stuff like that but there was a a, back in the uh, 80s chuck norris actually did that in texas and got it got it into a lot of schools and it proven success i mean you know gang uh, involvement was down drug involvement was down graduation rates were up grades were up just positive across the board and it was mandatory from like sixth through eighth grade and it was it was a huge success and unfortunately with
1: you think of all the elements that it brings in right that that are issues and not only physical exercise being the the component of it, that's a, a big part of it, which kids definitely need, but, uh, there's a, a discipline angle to it that I think is missing for a lot of kids. And then there's, as you get into it, you know, you go in again, I mean, you start and think, okay, you know, gee, I want to be a black belt someday. Right. I think that's all of our thoughts when yep. we first and do a martial art. And, and as you start that journey down the road, you, you realize the black belt is just another step along the way. It's not a destination. I mean, I think for me, that was the biggest thing. And I didn't start Till I was over 30 years old uh right. before I stepped into a martial arts school and started and so again you go and thinking oh, okay I mean you get the you get the stuff initially and you talk and it's like well you know I'm, how long do you think till I get a black belt and they all kind of chuckle and say well you know we'll worry about that later and you're kind of thinking well you know, what's the deal here and as you start to go down that road Brian it's you really do realize yeah the black belt is just it's a it's something you work towards obviously but it's not really when you start you think the black belt is the end and as you get into it you realize the black belt's really only the beginning.
0: Exactly. And that's another thing, you know, from your previous question is that's one thing I'll ask is if if you go to a school and they say you'll have your black belt within three years, walk away. Any place that guarantees you'll have a black belt? You know, there, there's, <laughs> there's schools that actually will sign yeah. a black belt contract that says in 18 months you will have your black belt no matter what. That's you what know.
1: I loved about my teacher and uh, to this day still because uh, he always talked about, he goes, if somebody walks into our school and says, how long till I get a black belt? Because the, the standard is, you know, it's about three years with with the school I went to. They they figured if you kind of went along the journey and got your belt around the time. And and then he always told the story. He said, he goes, then some students say, well, what if I really, really put some time in and really worked hard? Then he would say, well, then it's going to take you four years. (laughs) (laughs) And then they'd say, well, what if I really, 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 really train? He goes, it's going to take you five years because it's not about that. And, and that's kind of, for me, when I started to realize, I think I'm in a good school. I think I'm in a good place. This isn't a belt mill. Right.
0: Yeah. The, the, the nickname out there is the, the McDojo, the, you know, the fa- yeah. fast food dojos. And it's, it's, and,
1: it's, and I understand sad. that, you know, look, I get it. It's a business, right. And, and right. you have to, you have to have, uh, those ways to get your income. So I, I don't knock a school for doing that. But um, when I heard my teacher talking like that, you know, once I had been around long enough to kind of get the gist of how things work, I, I was like, yeah, this is a this is a good, good place to be. Yeah. Good, good, good mindset to have.
0: And I will knock schools like that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, yeah, no problem doing that. I'm not knocking anybody trying to make a living, but yeah, that's, there are some, it's like, I I do hear about some friends, like you said, that have kids and it's like, yeah, my son tested for his Brown with orange blue. I'm like, what? (laughs) What?" Yep. Yeah. And that's the other
0: thing to watch for too, is when, when it comes to teaching kids, the one thing I watch for is do they differentiate between kids and adults? You know, because yes. you know giving it giving a nine year old a black belt and considering them the same rank as a twenty year old black belt, in my my personal opinion is very wrong. And and I've seen that at Taekwondo schools, and, dangerous. You know, that's what, my school has junior black belts. You can't get an adult black belt till you're a certain age. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's I believe in that. And, and there's also there's some styles who just won't teach kids. You can't even start until you're 15 or 16. That's like Hapkido
1: is exactly like that because of its. There's so much focus on joint locks and things like that that yeah, we won't even generally take students till they're you know mid to late teens.
0: And that's fine. That's fine. You know the ones that you know there's also ones that'll take them as young as three, which I is crazy. But you know, you, you got to look. <laughs> At what what the style is and what they're trying to accomplish. You know, if it's if it's strictly a sport, martial arts, and and they're doing you know just like gymnastics, you know, they'll start kids when they're two, you know, two three years old. You know, they're basically doing somersaults for a year. That's you know. Yeah, you're not, and I'm guessing most martial arts schools aren't going to have three-year-olds breaking boards and stuff. I would hope not. But, you know, I mean, our school, we do we do weapons training. We'll even do weapons training for kids that young, five, six-year-olds. But, you know, they're using padded nunchucks. using padded, you know, swords and teaching them the very basic stuff. You know, we're not, not giving them. Don't, don't call them an your sister with this type of stuff. Right. And that's one, you know, one thing that's still to this day why all my kids went to the same school I did is because the instructor is the way he is with kids. I mean, he's an amazing instructor, but just the way he is with kids which i didn't notice at first because i was you know 20 years old when i started with him and then i started you know started helping with kids classes and 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 seeing how he was and one cool thing that he's done for decades is that when it comes time to test for your belt he'll actually send a permission slip home for your parents that they have to sign it and they have to check two boxes and they have to say my child has been respectful at home yes or no and my child has been doing well in school yes or no if either one is no you don't test for your belt right and parents love that. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. And I know that teacher you're talking about, yep. he is fantastic. Exactly, I've seen yeah. some of the demos he's done with kids and stuff. I've never been to an actual class, but I've seen enough demos and things where he does a great job and exactly. you can tell the kids yeah. really love him. And and there's a mutual respect there, you know, which is another question I want to ask you actually is, you know, that's the kind of stuff you, you mentioned. It takes you into your everyday life. You talk about uh, these kids with discipline and stuff at home, very basic kind of things. But what about on his adult? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, obviously you've been around martial arts for a long time and I would imagine you take some of those things that you've picked up, uh, not only from when you were younger, but uh, even your training as an adult and, and take those into your everyday life. How do you use it as an adult who has a job and kids and all those things?
0: There's many for me, but the, the one that sticks out right away that I think of was, that it was another life changing thing. And so when I first started in, in martial arts, when I was a kid, even through my first few years of college, I was very shy. And you know me, you probably won't believe this. I mean, I was probably the shyest kid in school. I
1: I would would, not believe that. Yeah,
0: I would not get up and do. In I would not get up. Yeah, I would not get up in front of people and do book reports. I actually, in tenth grade, we had to take a mandatory speech class, and we had to. We're supposed to get up like once a week and do a speech. I skipped every single one, and until the final week, she pulled me aside. She's like, "This is a required class. If you don't do your final speech, you're failing, and you will not graduate." So it was supposed to be a fifteen-minute speech on the subject of my choice. So that night I was just stressed. I mean, I was sweating, just terrified to get up there. So the day comes, I was the last one she called on, and I walked up there, didn't make eye contact with anybody, and pulled this crinkled up piece of paper out of my pocket, read it word for word, and sat down covered in sweat. I was up there like forty five seconds for my fifteen minutes. Like speech. three hours, I bet exactly. And after class, she pulled me aside. She's like, "I'm giving you a D minus. Don't ever set foot in here again." And but the best part about that is, that, you know, in in 94, 95 when I started at with my current instructor with with Jim Grimstead, he um he pushed me out of my comfort zone. He started you know first of all having me help teach class which I had never thought of doing before and suddenly I think I was a purple purple belt I think it was he pulled me aside one day and he's like so I'm going to give you your own class I'm like okay yes sir I guess so you know and he's like be here on this this day and this time and I remember showing up and I get there and there's all these people out on the floor that are higher ranks than me I'm like oh it must be an advanced class I need to wait till they're done and and he's he's comes walking out of the the dressing room, he's like, Oh, your class is out there, go teach. I'm like, Sir, every one of those people outranks me. He goes, Like, doesn't matter, it's your class. He goes, They don't listen, give them push-ups. And he goes, Mr. Brian's in charge. And he walked out the door. And I'm like, Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, talk about baptism by fire. Uh-huh. But but it he pushed me out of me, he saw something in me and it pushed out of my comfort zone. And and I did it. And it got easier and easier and easier. And and the cool part about that and i wish i could i actually tried to track down this you know high school speech teacher and i haven't haven't had any luck yet but because of that and obviously with working in radio you know you get asked to like mc events and stuff yep i remember the first time i got asked to do that i think it was 98 or 99 and i did it i the radio station made me do it and i was terrified but i got through it it was it was definitely a lot easier you know than i thought it was gonna be but i was still shaking covered in sweat and i kept doing it and it got easier and easier and yeah, you know, at this point I've been on stage in front of five thousand people without blinking. Doesn't phase me in the least. And I and I owe it all to my instructor forcing me to teach that class back in like nineteen ninety five. You know, it 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 changed that much, and like I said, I've done you know corporate trainings for people. I've announced MMA fights. I've been the guy with the mic in the cage in front of five thousand people in the shield Center, you know, announcing fights, and it doesn't phase me anymore because of that. So that's, for me, that's probably the biggest part. I mean, obviously, you know, you know we have the tenets of Taekwondo. You know, courtesy, integrity, perseverance, self control, indomitable spirit. Those are the things that you know are obviously important. But as far as impact, you know, changing my life. I would have never started announcing sports if it wasn't for that. I would have never got up and done, you know, training sessions that I do professional voiceover as do you. And I've got up and done training sessions at voiceover conferences for people and stuff. And none of that would have ever happened if it wasn't for him forcing me to teach that class that many years ago.
1: So let's switch gears. We talked about this a little earlier too, is MMA and UFC. These are, (laughs) thing. So again, growing up when we did, it was boxing, right? That was the whole thing. In fact, when we grew up in the 80s, it was the it was the heyday of those uh middleweights like your your Sugar Ray Leonard's, your Thomas Hearns, Virgil Hill you brought up. Yep. Um Marvin Hagler, then of course Mike Tyson came along and then there was that whole thing and and boxing was king. And then in the 90s this uh this no rules fighting came along and then it sort of morphed into UFC and MMA, and now we've seen just this massive explosion where boxing, because I think largely just a lack of organization in general, there was no real main governing body. I think that's what uh, martial arts, mixed martial arts, has done correctly with UFC. Uh, in a lot of ways, has just blown up in in its uh, popularity. Everybody loves it, and uh, it has taken to it. I, I've been a little slower on that, just again growing up around boxing. Um, I have I have gained an appreciation for UFC and MMA just because of uh, being involved in it, like I have been. But again, I didn't do that until I was in my mid 30s, so about 15 years ago. You know, but it's been a slower turn for me, uh, so I don't have a lot of experience with it. I watch it a little bit, but what are your general thoughts on on UFC, MMA, and where that whole world uh, has come from and where it's going?
0: I admit I was I was a fan almost from day one. Uh, I I don't I don't think I watched UFC one, but I watched UFC two live. Uh, uh, way back. yeah yeah a friend of mine i think it was 94 uh, and and actually in, in another future episode you'll hear me interview someone who competed in ufc number two so oh, wow. be, yeah fun to chat with him maybe it was that was a fun interview looking forward to playing like i said one.
1: i don't follow what are they on ufc like what did i hear 250 or something the other day and, and that's the funny part is i don't I, even I, know where it's at.
0: yeah i kind of i kind of quit watching it i mean it's yeah. it's what's funny is, it was such a massive part of my life like i said i got into it at a young age and we went to we went to some local fights that happened obviously it was so different back in the 90s it was, almost no rules i mean the first first for ufc is the only rules were no biting no eye gouging no fish hooking anything else went i remember one of the like ufc three or four where a guy took like 15 consecutive groin shots and it was perfectly legal wow. back then yeah i know and, and did not tap out so i think
1: maybe that was the turnoff for me early on just and it's not bad anymore yeah but um early on i was just like wow this is this is too much for me again as a as a boxing fan which I guess is a gladiator sport, but there was kind of a gentlemanly quality to it as well with the rules and things. So I don't know it's a weird a weird mixture, but it's certainly changed since
0: then. And when it started, like I said, it started changing, you know, the original owners, they, they kind of, they were doing well, but not great. So they had to sell it. And, you know, when the Zuffa brothers or whatever bought it and and Dana White got involved and it kind of exploded, you know, I I got a little more involved. I got lucky. One of of the black belts at the school I trained at uh, became a fight promoter and needed people to get trained how to like judge and how to ref and announce and all that stuff. So I started judging just because I wanted to get into the fights. I wanted to go to these fights, but I didn't want to pay to go to them. So I figured if we'll I was a, yeah, if I, if I was a judge, I'd be the you know, best seats in the house, but yeah, and, and over, being in
1: the ring, right? exactly. I
0: had no interest in that. I've trained people for that, but I've had no yep. interest in doing it myself. I um, tell you
1: what, until I got into <laughs> martial arts, I always wondered, you know, you watch boxing and it's a, what, generally a three minute round or whatever, some sports are, or lower levels or different amateur bouts, they'll do maybe shorter uh, ring uh, rounds or whatever. And until you've sparred, you don't realize how long two or three minutes is. And <laughs> then to do it round yep. after round after round. i can't imagine the the training that these guys need to do that just as somebody who's sparred on a very limited level it's uh two minutes just like you're talking about that speech for 45 seconds two minutes can seem like a half hour
0: oh and that's one reason just you know, not just in taekwondo but even like some mma fighters we've trained at our school if it's a three minute round you're training for we don't train for three minutes we train five minute rounds because we don't want to be tired <laughs> when it gets to the end of the right. three minutes so if you're gonna have to do you know five three minute rounds we're gonna train five five minute rounds you know it, to make that work. But as I said, so I I started judging this stuff back in, God, when was the first one I judged? 2003 or 2004 and judged for over a decade. I judged over a thousand pro fights in Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, judged some big names that have, you know, come through the area and stuff. And and then I started, you know, towards the end of the judging, I started announcing uh, just for fun. I I never wanted to announce initially because as a judge, you can judge like any event and most announcers are attached to one specific one. I figured if I was a judge, I could go to all the fights. If I was an announcer, I'd only go to those. So, yeah, I started announcing and I announced about a dozen fights and stuff, but it's after I quit doing that, it just it kind of not me personally, but I saw a couple really close calls. It, it not really that I, I lost my taste for it, but I, I saw one or two people almost die in the cage and I was very close to that happening. I saw some really bad injuries and it just if it's on, I'll watch it, but I don't go out of my way to watch it like I used to. I used to never miss a UFC. I'd, I'd watch all the pride events. I'd watch all the Bellator and it just you know plus just time and busyness and, and doing other things and you know podcasting and all that stuff everything kind of gets in the, get in the way but if it's on I'll watch it and, and I still enjoy it it's kind of a guilty pleasure type thing but uh, sure
1: well it, it's hard not to appreciate the, the sport of it right when exactly. you when you're on this side of it and you've done these things and you've trained in these classes and sometimes that's what bothers me about it is I know there's a lot of great fans out there but I, I sometimes don't think they truly understand what these guys in that ring go through to get to that point the training and what's involved in that
0: oh the training's crazy like i've only helped train a, a you know a handful of fighters i mean we're not you know we're not an mma gym but if someone comes to us and wants to do it we'll we'll train we have the tools to do it and I, I've, I've trained some people and it's uh it, it's intense i mean it's it's a bit but you go to some of the actual mma schools in town too and it's it's even more intense when those guys take it very seriously and we're, we're lucky we have you know our local mma schools in this area have had success they've sent a lot of people to the ufc and you I'll, I'll be interviewing actually dylan spicer on a future episode he runs the uh you know, fargo uh, academy of combat arts and he's you know like pablo garza and tim johnson and he's uh, you know dane sayers he's had a lot of A lot of fighters that have made it uh, big names for themselves and he runs a tight ship over there. It's, it's fun to watch. And one thing I was lucky enough to see one time, one of the training they do is, is they get, you know, the guy who's fighting gets in the middle who has a fight coming up and everyone surrounds him in a circle. And it's like, I can't remember if it's every 30 seconds or every minute, he gets a new opponent. So he doesn't get, doesn't get a break. And I think if I remember it's like every other one, it's either standing on your feet or on the ground. So it's like you're down for 30 seconds up for 30 seconds down and it's a new appointment. So they're always fresh and you keep going till you go through everybody. <laughs> it's, it's intense. That's the only
1: way you learn though, I, I can tell you the nights, I, the one night I'll never forget as my instructor, I showed up for class it was a Friday in the summer. And so guess what? Nobody else showed up for class. <laughs> and it was in a gym that we had no, like no air conditioning in this gym. And my instructor is about to leave to go back down south where he's from to his school. And they did a couple of Hop Keto events each year. I think they still do like one in the winter, like February and one's in August. Okay. And so this is August and and I'm a yellow belt <laughs> or like a green belt. I mean, I'm just into this. And he looks at me and this guy's been doing it as long as I've been alive. I'm 47 years old. And he looks at me and says, well, he goes, I have to do a demo down in uh, Jackson. And I guess uh, I'm going to work on you with that. And this guy threw me around this gym for 45 minutes straight. Yeah. But it was one of those nights where I, I think I learned more than uh, combined in one night than I learned in many nights just because I had to learn how to fall and uh, just get a true feel for a lot of these techniques he was doing to me. I didn't have a choice.
0: And I've, I, <laughs> I think three or four times over the years I've, I've had that happen where I've showed up for an adult class and I was the only one. And I was like, the first yeah. the first time it scared me, then I was like, ooh, free private lesson. <laughs> yeah,
1: you learn quickly. You definitely, when somebody's doing techniques at a elite level, a master level, and throwing you around. Not only do you learn to fall and, and get out of those techniques in terms of your safety uh, properly, but uh, you you learn what they feel like when done correctly.
0: And I think, be, <laughs> I think because of that experience myself, I've always been one where if I see a student needs extra help or wants extra practice before a test, I'll be one of the first ones to volunteer. Hey, I'll go in with them on a weekend. I'll go in on a Saturday and work with them for two hours so they can pass their test. I have no problem doing that, and, uh, you know, I've never expected anything for it. It's just I enjoy it. For one thing, it helps me as much as it helps them. Because <laughs> it's That's one, one thing I've learned over the years as a black belt is I definitely learned the techniques better after teaching them than just learning them. So it's, it's a yeah. huge difference.
1: <laughs> for me, it was having them done to me. That, that helps me a lot. It's like, oh, okay. I, Because I, you feel like what it's supposed to be. Yeah. You know? I wanted to ask you about a favorite martial artist or or somebody you look up to. I mean, I think, you know, we, you talked some about some movie guys and stuff, but uh, do you have any practitioners in particular that you try to pattern yourself after or just look up to or, or just uh, some general thoughts on that?
0: There's a few. Obviously, the first one that comes to mind is Bruce Lee. I mean, that's, you know easily i mean because it hits a whole philosophy and combining styles and using what works and taking away that's just something i've always kind of believed in and kind of what i think kind of helps set my my way through martial arts and stuff that's someone i've always appreciated another one i looked up to you know never got to meet either was ed parker another one who died you know way before his time the guy who created american you know, american kempo It was just someone i looked up to but it, it, as far as people i've known and people i've met i mean my current instructor, you know, Master Jim Grimstead, just uh, I've stuck with him since 94. Obviously, there's, you know, it's not a it's not a mistake. I've been with him that long. It's just, the way he conducts himself, the way he teaches, the way he you know, shows the martial arts. It's just it's a someone I've always looked up to. You know, he's definitely definitely a friend, but he's an amazing instructor. And, and uh, I'll train with him as as long as I'm able to, for sure.
1: How about uh, before we wrap up here, uh, books, movies, I know you talked about some of your influences, but mm-hmm. uh, what are some of those things that really stand out to you as some of those top influences in terms of a book or a TV show or a movie?
0: I think the, the, the first one, the two two that I can think of that, that are probably my favorite is, as far as books is uh, Tao Jeet Kendo by Bruce Lee, obviously. Is a phenomenal book, and then um, Zen in the Martial Arts by Joe Hyams. I think anyone who's involved in martial arts should read that book. It's a small paperback. It's a quick read. It's just it's more about like the philosophy side of things, and it's a it's one that I, I have, and I'll, I'll I'll read it every couple of years. And I'll dig it out and read it. It's uh it's it's just a fun one. As far as movies and TV shows, obviously, I, I talked about the Karate Kid. That kind of started my my whole path so, i mean that was a huge i mean I, i'm a huge movie buff any movie that has to do with martial arts I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot i mean obviously there's some bad ones out there and i'll i'll never watch them again but uh that one definitely stands on the top of the list you know tv shows there was a great one um when i was a kid and this was um right around the time of the karate kid i think it was a little before that there was a show called uh, sidekicks uh, hmm. well, a lot of people don't remember it it was actually a it, it was I think it was produced by Disney, but it was um, spun off of a movie called The Last Electric Night*. but at the time was starring a very young Ernie Reyes Jr., right. um, who at the time was, I believe, wow. I want to say it was like 9 or 10 when he made the TV show, but he was a little kid, and he was in it with Gil Gerard and Buck Rogers himself. And uh, Gil Gerard played a cop and he was kind of raising this kid and they basically go and, you know, fight crime together. So he had this little, you know, 10-year-old kid who was, who already at that age was an amazing martial artist. I and mean, his dad, or Ernie raised senior, was world-renowned and, and- so he started training when he was like three years old. And 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 that's another interview I'm looking forward to, again, kind of giving a hint. I got the okay to interview Ernie Reyes Jr. So I'm excited about that one. And then obviously, uh, you mentioned earlier Cobra Kai. I mean, yeah, dude. <laughs>
1: really good, isn't it? I'm, Such I was a shocked. good show. I, when I, so it, when it first came out on YouTube Red, mm-hmm. which is a, a thing that doesn't exist anymore, I was like, okay, I got to see this thing. And I watched the first season I was telling everybody about, it. I'm like, it's actually really good. And they're like, well, how can that be good? And then uh, fast forward about what a year and a half later, it hits Netflix and has blown up ever since. And it's, it's the biggest deal going, but it's, it's very well done. I think it does martial arts, a, a great service in kind of showing some right and some wrong and how you should and shouldn't do things. And yep, uh, certainly piques the interest, right?
0: Oh yeah, and and I I feel kind of bad now thinking about it. We're recording this over Christmas break, and this episode won't air until probably sometime in January. We probably should have waited till season three came out. We could have talked about it.
1: <laughs> I'm well, excited. let's plan to talk again. And we'll just talk about specifically <laughs> Cobra Kai. That can be a podcast. We right?
0: we might have to do that. I'm excited this this Friday, man. I don't work, and I'm going to watch the whole season. So <laughs> it's I'm excited. Exci- podcasting.
1: Oh. We can do about whatever we want.
0: That is true. That is true. No, it's it's you know any of those shows. There's a lot of the ones I I've enjoyed though. I've been been like sidekicks. are unknown. There was a show in the early 90s called Street Justice that uh, starred Carl Weathers. Uh, Everyone remembers him. Apollo Creed. Apollo Creed. Yep. Kind of like sidekicks with adults, but he, he was a cop, and there was this young, like, Orphan kid who he knew when he was younger that grew up and as an adult, it was the actor's name was Brian Genesee, who was a uh, black belt in hungar kung fu, I believe. But he would go, out, you know, Carl Weathers was a cop and Brian Genesee would go and, you know, fight crime with him. So it kind of the same thing with adults type thing. But, you know, shows like that, there's, you know, the one-off shows that last a couple of seasons. There was a show in the early 80s called The Master. Starring uh, Lee Van Cleef and Timothy Van Patten. And Lee Van Cleef was a, um, a ninja. <laughs> wow. You know, you go back and watch it now. It's so cheesy, but he was an, a ninja... Know, traveling you know through america and he's, he took this kid under his wings if, if you want I have, I have the first few uh, episodes on dvd and demi moore's in the pilot episode <laughs> what's that one called it's called the master
1: the master
0: yes yeah it
1: was... well you've uh you've definitely <laughs> demonstrated a deep knowledge of television shows of the 80s brian no doubt about that and uh and uh, certainly a deep passion for martial arts and uh, a great history with martial arts and definitely looking forward to your podcast and all the great interviews you have lined up. And I really appreciate you asking me to do this interview with you. And it's been a lot of fun to uh, walk through this uh, memory lane with you a little bit about martial arts, talk about your philosophies on it and give people a chance to see what you're about as you head into this new venture with the podcast. And uh, I want to wish you best of luck with the podcast. Sounds like you got a lot of great stuff lined up for it.
0: Oh yeah. I, I'm Thank you for agreeing to do this. And like, this is a long time coming. I initially had this thought back in 1997, a radio station I was working on. I pitched the idea of a, a martial arts talk show and they no way wouldn't work. You know, fast forward 10 years later, I was working at actually a station you're very familiar. With an AM station in town, same thing, but this was even better. I, I pitched them the idea. I had all these stats, and like there were 35 martial arts schools in town. I had three sponsors lined up for it already, and they still said no. <laughs> and Money, <laughs> money willing to come in, they still said no. And, and there's, you know, around three years ago, I started thinking about the podcast. I had had some ideas and ran some different names and reaching out to people about doing some interviews and, and it was really, it was the pandemic that kind of launched it. I'm like, you know, I have a little extra free time and I think I'm going to finally do this and and actually started recording some of these interviews over the summer and been building them up and and to get ready to launch. And I'm hoping people enjoy it as much as I've, I've enjoyed doing the interviews and I'm, I'm looking forward to people hearing it. And I'm sure a lot of people will skip this first episode that won't care about me. They'll go to the fun stuff. And, and the cool thing about it is I, I've tried to make it a mixture of, you know, well known, some well-known people, and some people you've never heard of. Like I said, a lot of my former instructors, your instructor, you know, had a nice interview with, with Master Hillen. You know, some known people, Ed Parker Jr. Is That actually might end up being, I haven't finished editing yet, but I think that'll end up being a two-part interview. Uh, we we talked for almost 90 minutes. It was, a, it was such a great interview. To give a few teasers of upcoming episodes, um, James DeMile, who I just interviewed a couple days ago, was one of Bruce Lee's original students in Seattle in 1959. Um, another phenomenal interview. Um, Brock Larson who's fought on the UFC, the WEC. And I gave him the title, the nicest guy in MMA. One of the nicest guys I've ever met. Another great interview. So I think it'll be a lot of fun. And I got some other ones lined up that are coming up, uh, you know, over the next, uh, you know, few weeks I'll be doing and getting the show ready for launch. But I, I said, it's been fun. It's been a passion. And I just, I hope people will enjoy it. Best of luck. Thank you, sir.